We'll be picking up where we left off last in the 22nd verse of John chapter 3. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, and John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that in this time that we've come before you, Lord, that you'll help us in this few short moments to set all the things of the world aside and focus in what we can gain from your text. Lord, I know in a world of pride, in a world of high self-image, Lord, that this text here is counterintuitive to the teachings of the world, yet we understand here uh, the, what should be the M.O. of every believer's life. That we live lives that make much of you. That we live lives that lift you up. That we live lives that magnify your name. Lord, I pray that you help us to humble ourselves. Lord, I pray that you help us to view ourselves in the correct looking glass. And to see what we are and who we are without you. And everything that we are today is because of you. We give thanks to you, Lord, for all that you've done. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in this building lost and undone and on their way to hell, Lord, I pray that they see this morning the gift given in Jesus Christ. Lord, that they will turn from their sins and run to you and see what it means to have a life anew. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. We've returned this morning to our study in the book of John. Last time we were in the Gospel of John, we focused in on verses 12 through 21. And when we, really, verses 12 through 21 could be summarized that in these verses, Jesus has set out to explain 
the love of God and his ultimate plan of showing forth his love to this world was in the sending of his son. We were reminded in the closing verses of 19, 20, and 21 that in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, man was not condemned, but that man was condemned already, and that the sending of his son was a message of hope to deliver the condemned out of captivity to the, of the prince and the power of the air. But here, starting in verse number 22, the apostle John begins to put the pen to paper again regarding the record of John the Baptist. Now, as we read this text again, we are brought to the main theme of this entire book. John chapter 20 and verse 31, this person will remind us of John's ultimate goal. He says, John the apostle said, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. In verses 22 through 30, the apostle John will set out to write the record down about the record that John the Baptist bore forth about the day when his disciples, his followers came to him worried about people following Jesus Christ instead of him. Here in verse number 22, it unfolds in an understanding that I think that we all need, that this work that we do, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Here the followers of John the Baptist were uh, upset, they were upset about, they kind of felt like Jesus was still in the show. I mean, they were reminiscing about the times when John the Baptist was in the wilderness and preaching and many were following him and many were being baptized by him and people were coming unto their, um, their rabbi, John the Baptist. But in the end of all of this, when they come to him again, John will tell them that Jesus Christ must increase and that he must decrease. He again will affirm to their hearts that Jesus is not stealing the show, but he is the main show. He is the main thing. But before we get there, picking up in verse number 22, we, we really see the consistency of Jesus' ministry. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized now, as we continue on in this, we understand that this is a continual narrative that's unfolding. And this might at some point offer up a little bit of confusion because we already said in John chapter 2 and verse 13 that Jesus was already in the land of Judea. But what is being said here and offered up an explanation is that after these things, Jesus, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. What it means when it says the, the land of Judea, it is to say that they have came into the countryside of Judea. That's the emphasis of the word land there. It's not that they weren't already in Judea. They have come into the countryside of Judea. And there he 
tarried with his disciples and was preaching and was baptizing. The consistency of Jesus Christ's, Jesus Christ's ministry is that it did not matter where he went. It didn't matter where you found Jesus in geography. His ministry was consistent that they were preaching and that they were baptizing and that they were calling the sinner to repent. Also to understand, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Now understand that, um, I don't know if you guys know what bookends are. My dad uh, left me two of the ugliest bookends known to mankind. They're two brass ducks that don't do well holding up books. But it does well to show the beginning and the end. It, it's, it's to show that this is this row of books. Well, this, though we're not going to cover this, understand this is a bookend here. That John chapter 4 and verse 2 is going to give further explanation to what's unfolding here. And what it says, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. This is a further explanation in John chapter 4 and verse 2 about this text. Yes, they came into the land of Judea. Yes, they came into the countryside of uh, Judea. Yes, they were baptizing but not Jesus was baptizing, his disciples were baptizing. But it further paints that this was a wonderful time of ministry. This was a wonderful time of people receiving the gospel of Jesus. This was a wonderful time of people seeing the Lord as their Savior. Yet in verse number 23, while we see this Wonderful picture of people repenting and believing under the ministry of Jesus Christ. Verse 23 says, And John was also baptizing in Enon near to Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. While the Lord was consistent in his ministry, John the Baptist was still consistent in his ministry. The Apostle John tells us that John the Baptist was continuing on as well, calling sinners to repent. He was continuing on as well, calling for people to look to Jesus Christ as the Savior. And before we go on, this is not a, really a portion of the sermon, but, but much time could be spent here. But as a side note, see what the passage says. And John was also baptizing in Enon, near to Salim because there was much water there. A significant thing to point out, I believe, that J John thought, hey, this is a great place to baptize because there was much water, not because there was a stream of water, not because there was pitchers of water, not because there was a well there, but because there was much water there. Why would much water be significant in accordance to baptism? Because we believe in baptism by submersion. That is the significance that John is pointing out. There was much water there. But listen to verse 24. It says that all of this is happening at the same time. It was a time before John was cast into prison. And while this would seem to be a time of rejoicing, this was also a time of concern for many. Verse 25 says, then there arose a question between some of the disciples and the Jews about purifying. 
And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. You can see the concern here. But not only can you see the concern, it seems to be pointed out here how the followers of John viewed Jesus. I don't know if you picked this up in verses 24 or verse 25, but the followers of John had heard the name Jesus. They knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. They had heard their rabbi say this. Yet it seems like in a sense of disdain or in a sense of envy, speaking to John, they don't say the name Jesus Christ. They say, the one you bore witness about. The one that you spoke about over in chapter 1. You know, that one. You know, do you realize that he's now baptizing? Do you realize that now people are coming to him? I mean, it really seems that you can see the envy of the followers of John. They had no desire for their teacher to be overshadowed by another. It appears that they had not been listening to the message of John the Baptist when he pointed to Jesus and told them, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. But they did not want to relinquish their thoughts of John. Certainly you can see and hear the emotions in their voice. Really, even in the last verse, we understand that this is an overemphasis on their behalf because they're saying, John, it's so bad that all men come to him. Now we understand that all men did not come to Christ, but we understand this is the emotions. Like, listen, it seems like everybody's following after Jesus. Look at us. We're dwindling. Look at your fame. It's going to the wayside. It almost seems like you're of no importance anymore. Don't worry, John. We're never going to leave you. Even more, I tell you that this is a struggle even today that men and women find themselves in a church and they make much of themselves. We live in a day and age where people will brag about vacuuming the church. I don't know if that's because there's so few people working or we're just so filled with pride. We live in a day and age where people will say, well, I did this and I did that. There are churches today that idolize their pastor. There are churches today that idolize their choir. They idolize their ministry. They idolize their youth events. They make much about who's doing what and what they are doing. When we understand, when we really need to understand today, that all we are is the supporting cast. That's all we are today. It's not about you. It's, it's, it's not about me. But we understand that Jesus Christ is the, the theme of all of this. They were struggling that John's fame was dwindling. They were struggling with the thought that John's impact was dwelling. They were struggling with the thought that John's ministry was coming to a, a stopping place. Understand, this is a truth we will all face one day. There's coming a day, I don't know when, that Danny Holt will no longer preach in this pulpit. I don't know. I hope, I hope that's when I'm home with the Lord. 
There's coming a day where Brother Bob Evans will no longer be the treasurer. There's coming a day where Brother Phil Green will no longer be the head trustee. There's coming a day where you will no longer be a Sunday school teacher. And although this saddens us because we love to serve the Lord, we also must understand that our service here today is not so that we can be lifted up, that we are just a support to the main theme. We are just a, a support to the main person. We are just here as exalters of Jesus Christ. We're, we're not to be bragged about here, but Jesus, he is the reason we do all of this. He is the reason we're preaching. He is the reason we're teaching. He is the reason that we're all here. But the followers of John were devastated that he was not the main focus. John responds to this concern, and you can see that John really had the proper philosophy to the concerns of his followers. He gives us four responses to this concern. We see in verse number 27, first, he addresses the position of the person. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given from heaven. Let that sink in. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given from heaven. Here, John is quoting the book of Proverbs, but he is stating that everything we have and everything we are today, even in the aspect of ministry, has been determined by God. Even down to the size of our church, or even to the fame of our ministry. John's first response is, the size of my ministry is determined by God. And if the size of our ministry and who we are in this world is determined by him, what business do we have jockeying ourselves into a position that where we would receive any praise or a higher position at all? Paul told the Corinthians at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? And if thou hadst not received as if thou hadst not received it. Paul says, tell me something that you have today that God hasn't given you. Tell me some kind of gift that you have today that God hasn't gifted you with. If you have the ability to sing today, it is because God has gifted you with the ability to sing today. If God has gifted you with the talent to labor in a specialized trade, it is because God has gifted you with that talent. And when you use it, you shouldn't be bragging about yourself. You should be bragging about the one who gifted you with it. But Paul told the Corinthians, what do you have in your life? What talent do you have? What gift do you have? What do you have in your life that you have not received from God? And if you recognize that you have received it from God, why do you talk about it like you have not received it? Why do you talk about it like you came up with it yourself? But it also calls to another point. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given from heaven. If everyone is following Jesus, what business do I have being jealous of the Lord's ministry? 
it could not increase unless God increased it. You see what John is saying? The only the ministry of Jesus could increase if God so sought to increase his ministry. And my ministry could only decrease if God so sought to decrease my ministry. It is a simple application that rings true even today. Our job is to labor at our church. It is not my job as a pastor to be envious of the church up the road that has 300 members. It is not our jobs as members of the Witten Place Baptist Church to envy the church up the road that maybe has the bigger youth programs or to envy the church up the road that maybe has the grand choir or the specialized singers or the instruments. This is not our job. It is our job to focus in and labor at the church in which the Lord has planted us in understanding that when God so sees fit to give the increase at the William Place Baptist Church, he will. But increase is given on the back of labor. Understand that. But you know what happens when we get so caught up in what other people are doing. I, I don't even know if you've ever done this, but you get so caught up in listen to someone sing and how beautiful they sing, you miss the words that they were singing about. This is the danger of trying to make much of ourselves. This is the danger of aspiring to be great. It opens the door for us to arrive at a place and miss the purpose of what's being, or the person who's being magnified. John says to his followers, that's what's happening with me. If the Lord wants my ministry to grow, he'll grow it. And if God wants the Lord's ministry to grow, he'll grow it. We ought to learn to be satisfied and content with the ministry we have and the ministry that we're involved with. And then John would give his second statement on this matter. Verse number 28, ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Here he, again, he reminds them, there has not been an audible called in John the Baptist's ministry. He, he says, you guys already know this. This has been my message since the very beginning. I am not the Christ, but that I was sent before him. I was the one, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness as a prophesied in the book of Malachi. I was the one here to announce the arrival of the, of the coming Messiah ever since the beginning. I have told you this. I've told you to repent and make your path straight because the Messiah has come. Understand what he's saying. He's aligning their understanding to say, I have never been in competition with Jesus. I've always told you I'm the one coming before him, but I am not him. I'm not competing with the Lord. I'm not trying to outdo him, but simply trying to point others to him. I love this. I love that John stuck to his appointed task. Oftentimes in ministry, when our ministries aren't where we want them, when our church isn't where we want it, when, when we don't see the events or all of the things that we see happen in our other churches, we become at times discouraged with our church. We at times become so discouraged and we begin to fantasize what it would be like at 
their church. What it would be like to be in a church with a bunch of people and a bunch of choirs and all of this, so on and so forth. Oh, we begin to fantasize at that. By the way, if you arrive there with all those events, you know what? You're going to find people working. But that's a side note. But I love the fact that here we see in the same countryside of Judea, Jesus is ministering and the crowds are following Jesus. And yet John is over here in the same countryside of Judea ministering and the crowds are not following him. And yet John stuck with his call. He stuck with what the Lord had called him to do. Just a few miles apart. Yet John was not focused about the crowds following him. He was focused on the message that God called him to preach in the location in which he was in. He gloried in the fact that the Lord was working over there. But he also gloried in the fact that the Lord was working through him. John never left his call to be the front runner of Jesus Christ. Even more in verse number 29. John sets out to explain that there's no competition, but now he says in verse 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Understand that for us in this very quick reading of verse number 29, we don't really understand fully what John the Baptist is saying here until we first immerse ourselves in their culture. When John is saying here that, the, that he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom. Now, I guess if you was looking for something to compare this to in our society today, that this would be the status of the best man. But understand in the culture in which John is speaking, the friend of the bride, the best man, the best man fulfilled an extremely different role. The role of the friend of the bride was uh, much more involved. It was the, the friend of the bridegroom he would protect the bride. Even more, you know, in our culture, in our society today, the, the, the father walks the bride down the aisle and gives the bride to the bridegroom. In their culture, it was the friend of the bride. It was the best man who would protect the bride all the way until the time of the wedding. And it was the friend of the bride who would hand off the bride to the bridegroom. This is very important in understanding what John is putting forth to us here. Even more customary, if the bridegroom was to reject the bride, under their law, it was illegal for the friend of the bride to ever, the friend of the bridegroom, it was illegal for him to ever marry the bridegroom. Another important thought. This is important to understanding because what John is putting forth here, he says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, 
is fulfilled. You see, what, what John the Baptist is saying is, is saying this. Listen, it was my job to take the bride and deliver it to the bridegroom. But that was it. And in the same facet, when the, when the friend of the bride would deliver the bride to the bridegroom, then he would step out of the seat. At that point in the wedding, his position was fulfilled. And then all eyes would be upon the bride and the bridegroom. So John the Baptist is saying this, first off, listen, what you need to understand is that even if Jesus rejected these people, it would be against all rights and customs for me to try to take this as my bride because this is not my bride. Secondly, you need to understand, and this was probably extremely moving to the followers of John the Baptist when they heard this as an example because they were brought to the understanding that, wait a minute, if you're saying that you're the best man and you're handling, handing off all of your followers to Christ, that means of certainty you're falling away from the scene. This is to say that you're no longer a part of this, that you're falling to the wayside and all focus is upon Jesus Christ and his bride. And using this illustration, you can see the, the blow that his followers felt. They will, John the Baptist is saying, they will never be my people. And even more, he says, and I'm not jealous of this. He says, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. John the Baptist is saying, hey, listen, my job was here to hand, to get the bride ready for the coming bridegroom. And now that I've heard the bridegroom's voice, I rejoice greatly because the Messiah has arrived to get his bride. The Messiah has arrived to begin to, to preach truth. The Messiah has now arrived. Now humanity has hope in this person, Jesus Christ. And he says even more, this my joy therefore is fulfilled. And then he closed this conversation with his followers in this simple statement. He must increase, verse 30, but I must decrease. What a statement. John says, listen, speaking to his followers, there is simply no other way to live. There is simply no other way to serve in ministry besides making much of Jesus and making little of ourselves. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. William Carey said, when I'm gone, I don't want anyone to talk about William Carey. I want everyone to talk about William Carey's Savior. I desire that Christ alone be magnified. This was the passion of John the Baptist's heart. This should be the passion of each and every one of our hearts as we do ministry. We shouldn't seek out here at 4600 North Edgewood to make anything great of ourselves, but only to make great of our Savior, 
only to lift up the one who died for us. This should be the joy of our hearts. This should cause us to rejoice greatly that the thought that the Messiah has come. Our joy should be fulfilled when we see others turning to him. I don't want people to follow me. I don't want people to arrive here because they think anything of me. You know why? Because I will let you down. But you will never be let down by Jesus. You'll never come up short in following after him. I guess the question of ourselves is if we was to survey our hearts, if we was to survey our conversations in weeks past, have we come to the understanding that what we do in this life, whether it's for your secular job or at work uh, or at, at church, do you realize the ability you have is given from above? Do you realize the blessings that you have to serve here? It was God who gave you that physical ability. It, even if you cannot physically serve, it was God who blessed you with the ability to see your need of him, even if you're just a prayer warrior. It, it, it all comes back to him. Everything we have in this life is given from above. Even more that we understand that in our lives that he must increase and we must decrease. Why do we do what we do? Well, the answer is because we have such a great Savior. This is, the, this, this is the overwhelming passion of John the Baptist. This is his overwhelming concern for his people. That, and it kind of even shows you that these followers of John the Baptist, though they sat under the preaching of John the Baptist, I mean, it's almost confusing at times that the followers of John the Baptist who seen Jesus, and they heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. They seen John the Baptist baptize them. They seen the Spirit descend out of heaven like a dove upon him. And yet here they are, confused about John the Baptist's ministry. It proves the fact out that at times in life, we all need to get recalibrated. We all need to get, instead of getting so caught up about who goes to what church and what church does what, we need to get calibrated about what this service is all about. It's not about what event happens here today. It's about who we've come to worship. It's about what this event is all about. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you for this opportunity again to be in your word and to continue to study on in the book of John. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to search our hearts and ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? Are we seeking the praise of men? Are we seeking the acknowledgement of others? Are we just in service simply because you're such a wonderful Savior? 
and that we acknowledge even if we worked every moment of every day and every second of our lives, we could never, ever come close to repaying what you did on Calvary's Hill. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.